Inside the IC is sponsored by Microsoft Federal, the choice for classified missions. Welcome to Inside the IC, sponsored by Microsoft Federal on Federal News Network. Now your host, Justin Doubleday. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Inside the IC. My guest today is Jeanette McMillan, the Assistant Director of Supply Chain and Cyber at the National Counterintelligence and Security Center. Jeanette, thanks for being with me. Thank you so much for having me, Justin. It's a great opportunity to be here and uh, shed some light on some supply chain things. Yeah, absolutely. We love talking about uh, supply chain security and, and, you know, that's been in the news really for the last several years. It's certainly been uh, a big focus of, you know, the the federal industry trade press, of course, for, for a long time. Can you kind of give us, though, an overview of your role and the NCSC's Cyber Supply Chain Director and what you guys bring to this space specifically? Absolutely. Well, um, NCSC is one of the mission centers within the ODNI umbrella, but our main focus is to lead and support CI and security activities again, critical to the nation's security. Obviously, my directorate is focused on supply chain and more recently, as we well know, cyber supply chain and making sure that we're able to get the threats and risks out there to not only private sector industries, but also our other federal government departments and agencies who are kind of in this um, battle for more resilient cyber supply chains, as well as making sure that we're able to uh, pivot quickly to to keep our national mission going, but also to protect critical infrastructure and those industries that rely upon those things every single day. So that's been kind of the focus of our uh, directorate. Uh, we, we've been a little busy, but uh, we think that it's a good thing that people are now focused on how, how critical supply chains are to their everyday life. Yeah, it's certainly become apparent uh, once the COVID-19 pandemic really uh, made it hard to find certain things in grocery stores and, and, of course, even more critical things in terms of medical supplies and things like that. I'm wondering, though, you know, that's a pretty broad uh, view of supply chain. How have you seen this issue really evolve since you joined the NCSC at this central node, taking a close look at across all these things? Oh, yeah, Justin, you're absolutely correct. I mean, we have had a front row seat um, with regards to the pandemic. Um, Like you were saying, everything from software to semiconductors, pipelines to peanut butter, um, malware to meatpacking, we have seen it all uh, with regards to how global supply chains have impacted our lives. This particular pandemic especially has seen that our adversaries know how large and wide the attack vectors have become, especially as you were saying, with, during the pandemic, everyone went home and that just spread the attack surface for our adversaries to, to really get at those critical things that we do every day. But from a counterintelligence and security perspective, we've kind of tried to make sure that we were fortifying all of those kind of threat vectors um, into a into a more cohesive strategy. And that's one of the things that the national security counterintelligence security does. Every three years, we are required to push forward a critical strategy for CI and security across the nation. This is a national level strategy. Right now, we're reinventing it a little bit. We're taking a little peek as we as again is required by the statute. 
But one of those things that we wanted to make sure remained was with regards to supply chains. So supply chain um, in 2020 was definitely one of the critical pillars, and we're continuing to see that. But again, we've we've done so much in terms of counterintelligence and security. From a physical security perspective, we have definitely um, fortified guns, gates, and guards, if you will, to protect our physical crown jewels. And we've also done things to, after the Snowden incident, um, fortify insider threat programs where people might be in access uh, that should not be. And in fact, uh, just a little shout out to my insider threat folks. It is Insider Threat Awareness Month. So um, we are hopeful that uh, those folks who are inside and that insider threat and that supply chain nexus is also something that we're combating. And then also we saw that there were some increases to investment security through fortifying both CFIUS and FIRMA. So with those kind of areas, you know, kind of taken care of and a really good focus on it, where else would our adversary go but to our supply chains and to those things that we, they know that they can get in, into the heart of. So we have definitely been focused on the cyber supply chain and making sure that that cyber supply chain security is is at the at its peak. Yeah, I mean there there has been a lot of activity, a lot of programs and legislation passed in recent years to try to get after this issue, especially the cyber supply chain and I don't know if if you could broaden that out to the information communications technology supply chain. You know, are you seeing progress. You know, obviously we're not seeing all all of these industries come back on shore. So sort of the offshoring problem hasn't been solved quite yet. But, you know, are you seeing progress in terms of companies taking more measures to protect themselves from some of these threats, agencies as well? Yes, absolutely. We have definitely seen a, a, a good focus on this. And it also is something that we've done internally here, both with additional legislation focused on supply chains, as well as some of the executive orders that it came out last year. Um, for, for the legislative pieces, one of the things that we've been able to focus on is indeed how you know foreign adversaries, uh, China being the, the most prolific right now. In fact, I believe Director Ray has said over the summer, FBI Director Ray was commenting that every 10 hours, at a rate of every 10 hours, one of the field offices is opening a CI investigation related to China theft. So it is pretty significant and pretty robust. And one of the areas that we believe can help focus us, at least from federal procurement, was the establishment of the Federal Acquisition and Security Council. And that council was stood up um, under OMB with leadership from across the federal government to include NCSC having a seat on that council, as well as ODNI having a seat on that council. So that to the extent that we have an opportunity to bring cyber supply chain risk information, CI risk information, we're able to bring it to that federal format. Not only did the Federal Acquisition Security Council get established to, you know, kind of look across the, as you were saying, ICTS supply chain. We call it cyber supply chain for short. ICTS gets a little muddled. But um, but yeah, we definitely wanted to make sure that those uh, specific information sets through the Federal Acquisition Security Council got to all 72 agencies um, with federal procurement dollars to make sure that they're spending them in the right way. And to the extent that a vendor comes across the Federal Acquisition Security Council that is not on the up and up and needs to be removed or excluded, the law gave them the authorities to do so and and allowed uh, federal acquisition security um, professionals to come forward and say, hey, 
I'm not going to let this particular vendor or this particular covered article into my supply chain for national security reasons. So that was, those were that was a huge lift with regards to that. The other executive order that we've also been looking at and champion is um, the, some of the outputs from the executive order of 14017, which was America's supply chains. And in that, as you said, again, the ICTS supply chain was part and parcel of a one-year study d- conducted by both Department of Commerce as well as Department of DHS. And they looked at critical aspects of the ICTS supply chain with regards to where those, those choke points are, where the manufacturing, like you were saying, in terms of bringing onshore, is there an opportunity to do that? Or is there an opportunity to say, hey, maybe not onshore, but near shore. But as we're in this kind of uh, pivoting point, to try to make sure we're right-sizing that, what are the things that we can do right now to make sure that our supply chain is more secure? And asking those questions with regards to manufacturers, vendors, developers that might have um, access to to our data and to our information what other countries, potentially Russia, China, et cetera, might have access to them as a, as a, as a company partner? Are they getting access to the data through of that company um, being in production or even in business in those other countries? What sort of access does that provide? And is that providing that access to U.S. persons data, um, healthcare data, all of that sensitive information that we may not want to have um, those companies have access to just because of the, of the poten- potential threat through those uh, supply chain threats? vectors. Got it. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the FBI's uh, rate at which they are opening new investigations into potential Chinese uh, uh, counterintelligence issues. I'm wondering, you know, you're going to be on a panel at the upcoming Intelligence and National Security Summit here on uh, September 15th uh, entitled Chinese Threats to U.S. Supply Chains. What's been your office's focus on on that issue specifically. There are a lot of federal organizations that are taking a look at the, I guess, the China threat, is, as you might call it. There's industrial espionage, cyber attacks, um, just the issue of offshoring, mergers and acquisitions. Uh, I, I mean, I don't want to steal your thunder. There's a lot there that I'm sure you're focused on. <laughs> but I guess what's, what's the Chinese threat? Uh, how would you characterize it today to U.S. supply chains? And, and what are you focused on? Yeah, it it is certainly quite critical and it will be increasingly quite critical. We know that China has a desire to be at the forefront of all emerging technologies with regards to manufacturing in China, businesses in China, the telecommunications industry, all of those things, we've seen those as a siren to say, hey, how is that possible when that innovation started here in the U.S., whether it was through research and development, whether it was through partnering with other U.S. companies and that IP being siphoned away. So it, in taking that kind of cue from Director Ray in terms of the amount of resources that um, investigations are taking place, one of the areas that we've tried to focus on is in our private sector outreach with regards to some of those critical technologies that we identified last fall. And in doing so, we wanted to make sure that those organizations that are supporting or are part of that supply chain understand the risks of having done having to do uh, business within China. And that's where it comes back to how we protect that particular supply chain and the true cost of doing business with that particular partner or with that investor or even someone who is investing in the research. What are you losing? What's the total cost of that engagement and that partner? 
partnership if you know that there's a potential that your IP might not be yours any longer. So those are the sort of educational pieces that we're trying to couple with um, as the departments are trying to get back that IP or more importantly, punish those folks that are stealing it and using it to their advantage. And also the decrease that happens to the US economic, especially in those really tight technological um, research and development areas. We wanna make sure we, we promote those areas. We wanna make sure that you know true partners are out there. And if there is indeed a desire to partner, what are you really getting at the end of the day? Is it just an investment or is there someone who's going to take their IP, uh, take your IP, your hard-earned dollars, your hard-earned research and do something that is not in your best interest or more importantly, in the best interest of the nation and trying to make sure we keep our technological advantages. So we've been um, helping with those sorts of outreach efforts, raising awareness on those fronts, but also very um, much so championing certain um, public-private partnerships, uh, especially in the software support supply chain. Just last week, uh, the Enduring Security Framework released a specific guidance for software developers and how those software developers could really make sure that their development um, environments are more secure and that those uh, particular things that they are developing, once it gets into an operational phase, they can hand those things over, whether it's to a private sector organization or whether it's to a government entity, knowing that the de development environment that those particular pieces of software came from is even more secure. So we were really proud to be a part of that initiative. And it's a three-part initiative. So it's not just for developers, but it's also for suppliers and then also for customers. How do you know that that particular software that you're using and pulling into your environment is going to keep your data safe and that you're not introducing any additional malware to your networks and systems? So we're really proud of that particular uh, aspect and hope to, uh, I can't wait for the other two pieces of, those, of that particular work to come forward. And again, that's Jeanette McMillan, the Assistant Director of Supply Chain and Cyber at the National Counterintelligence and Security Center. We're going to take a short break, but we'll pick up the conversation when we come back. I'm Justin Doubleday, and you're listening to Inside the IC on Federal News Network. With the broadest range of breakthrough technology solutions, Microsoft Azure for Government is the choice for classified missions. Built for government agencies and their partners, unlock insights, build new capabilities, and empower collaboration in secret and top-secret environments. Microsoft Azure is built for national security missions, combining cloud-native capability with classified networks, hybrid and multi-cloud, to create a developer-friendly platform that is ready anywhere and secure everywhere. Visit MicrosoftFederal.com. That's MicrosoftFederal.com. Welcome back to Inside the IC. I'm Justin Doubleday, and I'm speaking with Jeanette McMillan, the Assistant Director of Supply Chain and Cyber at the National Counterintelligence and Security Center. Jeanette, before the break, you mentioned the priority industry outreach efforts that the NCSC has announced. It announced it last October. Uh, five sectors uh, that produce tech technologies, and I'm quoting from uh, the, the fact sheet, that may determine whether America remains the world's leading superpower or is eclipsed by strategic competitors in the next few years. So big statement there. Of course, you mentioned how China is, uh, the Chinese government is, of course, targeting those sectors as well to be to take the lead there. I'm wondering, you know, what does it mean priority industry outreach efforts for your office? What exactly are you doing with these sectors? What's what's the focus and goal goal here? 
Right. So um, those, those particular sectors, especially within the critical technologies, one of which was the artificial intelligence uh, sector and making sure that they understand that supply chain risk management does, is just not for um, those folks who are, who are buying software. They're, it's really for those folks that are developing it. So one of the areas that we took a hard look at was machine learning and how machine learning can and will be tested not only before it gets deployed, but also while it's being deployed. And one of the things that we were able to do was partner with um, our NIST uh, folks, as well as our Department of Defense and a couple of other IC elements to take a look at that machine learning life cycle and the machine learning development uh, sort of thing, and where we believe that adversaries would have the most um, impact and also where the um, actual machine learning uh, AI algorithms would be most vulnerable. And one of the things is data. Uh, data is the data is the new oil, right? So if your data is go bad going in, it's going to have a bad outcome with regards to the algorithm that you're trying to produce. And, and some folks are like, oh, well, it's okay. You know, it's, you know the, the machine is not uh, learning in the same manner as other machines because you're not just coding. You're actually trying to teach the system to learn. And if it's learning on bad data, then it's not going to be able to be productive. But from a cybersecurity perspective, what does that really entail? Well, it, it might entail that adversaries are able to change your algorithms. It might entail that those particular folks visiting your website because you're trying to manage, you know, different healthcare uh, nodes or different, you know, uh, interactions with folks as they're doing telemed. If their initial reaction or something is an insult uh, from one of the uh, algorithms that have been placed in there, uh, in an e-commerce environment, most folks are not going to come back to the website and are going to probably be looking to figure out how they can give you zero stars, not just one star. So it's one of those areas where we felt that we needed to reach out to those industries that are going to be using machine learning and using AI or across the gamut and, and making sure that people understand exactly what, um, while the technology they're introducing is certainly um, helpful and beneficial and wanting to increase their efficiency, what are the other things that they need to be aware of as they're going into those things and making sure that the technology that they want functions the way they need it to. Got it. Yeah. I mean, you, you start, I think everyone's had maybe at least a weird experience with one of those uh, bots on a website that chats you for, for help or assistance or whatever. And that, that will only increase in the future, those types of interactions. And, and so, the, yeah, you mentioned artificial intelligence, the five sectors, including AI, were also bioeconomy, um, autonomous systems, quantum, and then semiconductors, which we've uh, talked about a little bit here today. Of course, President Biden uh, just signed last month the Chips and Science Act to help onshore um, semiconductors and also boost a lot of scientific efforts across the United States. But uh, specifically on semiconductors, how do you expect that piece of legislation um, will help with some of these supply chain security concerns? Um, what, what are you watching here as it's been signed and now now it's it has to be enacted? Yeah, no, it's that's a great question. And we were um, very excited to see that the CHIPS Act finally made its way through to the president's desk. Um, as I alluded to earlier, Executive Order 14017, one of the main recommendations for from that particular executive order from Department of Commerce and Department of DHS was indeed to revitalize the manufacturing of chip production here in the United States. 
States. So this is a really great step towards doing that and making sure that we're able to not be so dependent upon East Asia for almost 70% of chip production. I mean, that's that's just absolutely insane. And again, even if it wasn't, again, from our perspective, from a counterintelligence and security, just understanding the lessons of the pandemic, having so much built in and so much uh, being manufactured in one part of the organization, one part of the world, one part of the one region of the world is just not a good a good idea any longer. So we've shifted from this notion of, you know, just in time to just in case with regards to some of those manufacturing um, mantras. And I think the CHIPS Act is a long, long way going for that. But we do still understand that that particular supply chain is still so diverse and it is still going to have a global impact. So as the organizations that I believe are going to be doling out the funds and the grants to the industry, there's definitely a, a lot of checks and balances with regards to what those sorts of things are going to do when they're manufacturing those security, when they're bringing those things in from those goods and those sectors and partnering with folks that uh, might have influence from, uh, I believe it's called an entity of concern. Uh, and I believe that China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea are currently listed um, as those uh, countries of concern that we want to make sure as those individuals who are trying to build up that domestic base, build up that nearshore and onshore capacity and capability are well aware of the, that information. I failed to mention that one of the things that we also have from our statutory uh, standpoint is that um, Congress also established for the DNI a supply chain and counterintelligence risk management task force. And this task force was established back in 2020 to ensure that the departments and agencies, especially those sector risk management agencies, had information that was of a supply chain nature, a risk uh, from a CI risk um, information, and then also from a cybersecurity risk information. And the director of NCSC has been named the chair of this specific task force. And it is indeed our responsibility to make sure that this risk information is provided to the Federal Acquisition Security Council to include the, the council as well as federal acquisition security agencies, including sector risk management agencies. And those folks that are dealing with the um, CHIPS Act and the funding from that are in that category. So we're going to be able to really promote uh, any concerns that they may have or, or take into consideration those things and provide information to them uh, at the ready. We'll have that ready to go. Got it. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I, has that task force really gotten going yet? Has it taken any actions or, or, or done anything that you can you can share with us today? Yeah, we're definitely established and we have certainly been working with the Federal Acquisition Security Council for the most part, because again, while if we can go to one council, we're, we're kind of um, hitting all the right angles uh, with regards to, to making sure that that information is provided in a timely manner. And we've also been able to participate in a lot of other initiatives by Department of Commerce, Department of Energy, um, as well as they're filling out their supply chain roles and DHS, especially with regards to some of the cyber security risk information that they've been able to uh, produce for some of their outreach to the cyber defender networks. So it's a really um, great opportunity for us to try to get together and make sure that we understand what supply chain risk information is out there, what needs to be shared, but then also at the same time, um, making sure that we're not hindering anyone's decision making. Because again, risk is a calculus. We certainly want to make sure that people are aware of that uh, risk information and, and, and having that informed decision making is clearly what the task force is supposed 
supposed to. We're not making the decisions. We're just making sure that whatever decision is made is indeed informed with the most information that we have at, at our fingertips at the time. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it seems like, you know, whether it's that task force or the Federal Acquisition Security Council, so so many of these new groups are focused on really taking information that perhaps the intelligence community has or, or and has had in the past, but has struggled to share it due to perhaps classification or or just sheer bureaucracy and breaking down some of those those barriers so that some of the other agencies that make these these buying decisions or, or, or are in charge of policy can can actually also have that information. Is that is that fair to say? Do you, are you seeing improvements there? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think one of the other improvements that we've also seen is that, again, through the Federal Acquisition Security Council, the Secure Technology Act requires departments and agencies to establish their supply chain risk management programs, especially for critical purchases. Like you were saying, that acquisition professional needs to know what they're actually buying and what's actually being introduced into their system. But sometimes that acquisition professional isn't going to really understand the the ones and zeros aspect of it. So it's also bringing together those disciplines from security, acquisitions, CIOs, CISOs, et cetera, bringing those three communities together to fully understand what the risk picture is. We, we know the adversaries out there. We know that the threat is going to continue to be constant, but where can we manage that risk to a point where we can still complete mission? We can still get things going, but at the same time, we know that that risk has been either A, been mitigated or reduced to a a significant amount. Where it can't be, we see certain pieces of legislation like legislation that was put in place to uh, prevent the five Chinese companies. I believe that was Section 889, which prevents federal procurement from Huawei, ZTE, Hytera, Hikvision, and Dawa. That was where the, the Congress said, nope, we cannot mitigate those risks. We are going to prohibit federal procurement from those specific companies. And, and departments and agencies have, have taken that on and have made sure that, that particular those particular procurements are no longer. And to the extent that they needed to have time to wean out those particular organizations, uh, those particular companies from within their organization, they've taken great steps to do so. So there's that balance of risk there where we believe that we can provide that information, especially when departments and agencies have kind of eaten their vegetables, if you will, and uh, done the hard work of doing um, supply chain risk management and understanding where their risk appetite happens to be. Yeah. And I mean, to your point, you you know, really excluding certain risks can be difficult because even in that case where Congress passed that legislation, that was quite a a heavy lift to actually get, uh, you know, the entire industrial base to really start implementing something like that. I'm wondering, though, with the Federal Acquisition Security Council, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think it's issued any exclusion orders at this point. What's the approach that's sort of developing there? so far in terms of how this council is operating and sending guidance and directives down to federal acquisition officials. Yeah, I think that's that's right and I think one of the things that when you have such a such a hammer like an exclusion or a removal order, you want to make sure that you're doing it precisely. And and some of those organizations understand that for them, the risk appetite is just too much. So they may have already made those decisions within their own departments and agencies um, to mitigate and or uh, make sure that certain organizations that present a risk to them, that they just will not be able to push into their environment. And so that's additional information that the, the Federal Acquisition Security Council can take on. And they 
they can also ask departments and agencies how they've mitigated with certain vendors, but also with classes of technologies. Um, back to kind of some of those critical technologies that we all, you know, have to have to live with. Cloud infrastructure, for example, is one of those areas where we were just like, yeah, we've got to make sure that we get this right. And so the Federal Acquisition Security Council, while they do have that hammer, one of the things that they've been focused on is exactly what it is in terms of that risk appetite, in terms of that risk tolerance across the federal government that they need to understand before, you know, again, putting in something that's even harder to implement than mitigating the risk that's been identified. So they've been very judicious and we've been helpful and hopefully helpful. I will let the chair decide that, but we will, we've, we've been very helpful in trying to make sure that, um, that the, the needs and understanding from an IC perspective were, were voiced, but also some of the risks that we have according to the expertise that we just have in the intelligence community. And that's one of the areas where I think we've been really able to just provide that CI risk and CI security perspective so that folks you know, who are saying, hey, we're mitigating this risk, but is this alternative just as bad or worse than what we had in the beginning? How do we make sure that we can um, do that to maintain our resiliency? And even though, again, there is a risk there, it, it may always be there, it may not manifest. And, and that's the other sort of risk tolerance that one has to understand from a federal um, government procurement acquisition and, and decision-making process with regards to acquisition security. Those are the folks that understand those systems, they understand their mission, and they understand what, what things they need to bring into their environment and at what time. But having that information, and like you said, making sure that it's down and, and passed on to those federal agencies making those decisions every day is what's critical to us um, within the National Security Counterintelligence and Security Center. Got it. All right. Well, you know, in, in the couple of minutes we have left, I'd, I'd love just to kind of get a sneak peek into what you're focused on here uh, in terms of both supply chain security threats um, and, and, and potential solutions initiatives here in the coming months and perhaps the year ahead. Well, um, we are we are certainly focused, laser focused on some of the threats that we understand coming out of China, but also uh, with regards to the conflict with the Ukraine and Russia. That's certainly something that we've been um, focused on to make sure that some of the um, cybersecurity issues as they evolve and advance, um, that we're able to stay on top of those things as well. Um, one of the other things that we're really trying to hone in on is is making sure that our that our federal acquisition community and our CISO and our uh, uh, CI and security team remain together and remain healthy and that we can get some supply chain risk management training uh, together for those folks in that in those suites and people that are kind of other duties as assigned are, are certainly trying to take up and, and meet the mantle with regards to some of those tasks that are coming down that may not fit squarely within someone's particular portfolio, but they have a mindset of, okay, fine, I at least have someone within the community that I can call and ask about what that information will mean in terms of a procurement decision or in terms of an information technology decision. So those are the areas that we're really trying to focus on with regards to the outreach effort and making sure that people understand where those critical technologies are, making sure what their specific department or agency needs in terms of bringing those critical technologies into their mission set whether it's an AI or an ML or something else like that, that's really going to push forward their mission, be mindful of what that actually introduces into that particular system. But we also just want to make sure that people understand that, you know, uh, supply chains are global. They are going to remain global. So they need to make sure that they have a focus on what is in their supply chain and where it's coming from. 
They also need to understand that they may not know exactly where their third party producers and suppliers and developers are, are bringing in that information and that those third parties introduce some risks that they need to fully understand before they sign up with uh, those folks. And then also they need to have executive level commitment. Sometimes it's very challenging for, you know, a CI and security folks or, or, an, or a CISO person saying, hey, I know we all want the, the new bells and whistles, but here's some security issues with it. You need to have that executive level commitment and understand that, yes, you might be able to save a couple of bucks on the front end, but through the life cycle of that specific investment, what's really, what is it really going to cost you? And is that couple of pennies saved up here at the beginning, is that going to cost you when unfortunately you might be suffering a cyber breach within a few years because this particular piece of software was not as secure in your environment as it would have been in another. And understanding those things that you that you understand your asset management and where you have purchased things are really contributing to your supply chain security. And it is a life cycle. It's not a one and done. Uh, you definitely have to stay vigilant there. And um, uh, NCSC is, is here to help to make sure that those uh, departments and agencies uh, have the information they need to make the right decisions for the country. Got it. All right. Well, a lot to consider there for folks who are trying to crack this uh, pretty complex uh, but important supply chain uh, nut. So uh, Jeanette McMillan, she's the Assistant Director of Supply Chain and Cyber at the National Counterintelligence and Security Center. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Justin. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening to Inside the IC, sponsored by Microsoft Federal. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your podcast feed. Search for Inside the IC on Podcast One, iTunes, or wherever you get your shows.